Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. My goal with this show is to give you the best resource for figuring out how to have an amazing, thriving, conscious relationship. This isn't the relationship that your parents had or the relationship that your grandparents had. This is a new cutting edge kind of relationship where you actually have a shot at being fully yourself in the relationship and your partner has a shot at being fully who they are and together you co-create something wonderful, something exciting. And in order to do that, I'm hoping to bring to you the best of the best in terms of who's out there in the world helping couples thrive. And sometimes that's just a matter of getting from uh, surviving into uh, into thriving. Um, and sometimes you're already doing you're already in good shape, and you just need some help to go from good to amazing. So that's been my goal, and I want to change the world, really, and, and do my part anyway to enable you and your friends and your children and to have this ripple effect out into the world um, to transform the way that relationship is done. And as you've heard on our show, there are so many people who are participating in that goal, who are trying to make the world a safer place for couples to really grow and experience things that they couldn't experience on their own, which is part of the whole purpose of doing relationship anyway. I mean, there's, of course, the sex, which hopefully is great, and there's the shared emotional experience, and then there's what you create together or what you procreate together, um, possibly. Um, so there's all this potential there, and the question is, how do you unlock the potential? So in order to dive deeper into that topic, today's guest is going to follow on a theme from an earlier episode, because as you've heard, there's this combination of what happens in relationship, of the work that you do within, and then the work that you do relationally, the skills that you need in order to actually be in relationship. And those aren't things you can't get on your own. So we've talked about both, and today I want to treat you to a synthesis of the two. And in order to do that, I've brought on today's guest. Her name is Tony Herbine Blank. And together with co-authors Donna Kerpelman and Martha Sweezy, she is the author of Intimacy from the Inside Out, Courage and Compassion in Couples Therapy. She is also uh, a trainer for the Institute for Self, the Center for Self Leadership, which you've heard of before on the podcast because that is the organization started by Dick Schwartz of Internal Family Systems. So we're going to explain all of that in brief on the show. But suffice to say that this is a way of healing the parts within you, the parts that jump out and get really angry at your partner, or the parts that shut you down and keep you from. Um, from doing anything that might make you look stupid or taking a risk or being vulnerable or the parts that actually shine and bring you joy and and the question is how do you get all of your parts to work together how do you develop a sense of self where you are leading you are the leader of all of those parts and then how do you bring that to relationship 
And Tony Herbine Blank has pioneered this approach of using internal family systems, which we heard about in episode 26 with Dick Schwartz. And if you're curious, it's neilsatin.com slash self, S-E-L-F. She is pioneering the approach of using internal family systems with in the context of a couple. So how do you use that inner work with your partner? And how do you interact with each other so that you truly become partners in each other's healing as well as each other's thriving? So we're going to have a detailed show guide for today's episode. You can get that at neilsatin.com slash Tony, and that's T-O-N-I. Or you can always text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and that will get you the show guide for this episode as well as all of our other episodes and all the other cool, fun, free things that are available on neilsatin.com. So with all of that being said, I'm really excited for you to hear from today's guest. Welcome to the show, Tony Herbine Blank. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. And I just loved hearing what you just said. I, I feel so, <laughs> I feel inspired just by your, your introduction and um, your invitation to people to explore being fully who I am and co-creating relationships. So thank you for everything that you're doing to, and your mission. Really, Absolutely. really appreciate <laughs> appreciating. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be co-creating <laughs> it with you here on today's yeah. show. Um, and so with that in mind, I'm really curious to know what led you to bridging the gap, to, to taking IFS into the world of couples work, and, and what, what has motivated you to take that on? Um, well, I before I found IFS, I was and still am obviously a couples therapist, and I was, uh, my approach was more dynamic, more attachment-focused work with couples, and uh, working with a pretty tough population, I guess I would say, and really wanting to find a way to help individuals deepen um, in the context of the couple's work because what I was finding is, in my practice anyway, is that um, there wasn't enough self-sustaining. In other words, there wasn't enough internal relationship with individuals to maintain the intimate connection that they were making in the office. So what I would find is that people were able to make a deep connection in the office, but not hold it from session to session. And so I started thinking, I want to find a way to help people um, learn to love themselves, if I could just say that, <laughs> to yeah. learn to love themselves and hold on to themselves so that when their partner wasn't able to stay available to them, everything didn't go to hell in a handbasket. So in other words... Um, a partner can't always be there to meet your needs. So what can we do to strengthen internally in order to strengthen externally? And I was on a quest to find that, and I the long story that I won't go into, but I stumbled into IFS by accident. And 
began to recognize this is a method of helping people learn to love themselves and to stay loving and connected internally even when their partner wasn't available. So that's the short answer to that question. Yeah, and it's such a familiar dynamic where... Um, I think people often when they come into partnership, they have that feeling of you complete me, <laughs> you know, and right. it's, the, you know, you're fueled by that, that rush of, of love hormones that are coursing through your, through your body. Right. And it engenders that sort of feeling. But then there are those inevitable moments where they're just not there for you. And it it's, could be through no fault of their own or it could be intentional, but whatever the reason is, they're not there. And that is so often um, what provokes people's uh, fight or flight, their triggers. Um, That's right. Because it's jeopardizing their safety. Right. Um, and, and I love that. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Well, there's grief around that also, you know, because in the beginning of a relationship, it feels like, you know, I'm being loved and accepted for exactly who I am. And you said that, you know, mm. fully who you are. And, and, we, and then there's the, uh, the, the hope that the partner will be able to stay in that position of loving you fully for who you are. So you can stay loving fully, you fully for who you are. And that does begin to, you know, that does begin to drift away developmentally in relationships. So... Yeah, and what you mean is the like the moments of reckoning where you realize like, oh, this isn't this isn't who I think they are or they're actually not completely like me or they actually don't love me for who I am or this thing that I thought they loved, now they're telling me annoys them or bothers them and what do I do with that? Exactly. That's right. Exactly. So, what do you think from your perspective is I'm thinking of the dance of relationship and that dance that you where you're moving between what happens between you and your partner and what happens within you. And I'm wondering from your perspective is there a, like what's what's ground what's like the first important step for couples to take if they're if they're willing to say okay like wherever we're at um Let's take a new step in a new direction and and start to see the universe through through Tony's eyes, you know, through the mm -hmm. intimacy from the inside out eyes. What, mm -hmm. what are some important first steps for people to to take? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm a couples therapist, of course, as you know. And when I sit down with a couple, I'm. I'm beginning to listen to a couple of things that are happening for them. One is I'm noticing their communication style. And so I'm paying very close attention to how they're using language, what kind of language they're using, and their, list, their ability to listen to the other person. So I think that communication is, is a big longing for couples when they get to a place where they're ready to come into therapy or they get to a place in their relationship where they are saying, you know what, we used to be able to do this, but we don't do this well anymore. And we don't understand why. So I think that is one of the, one of the first things that I'm paying attention to when I'm sitting down with a couple is what's happening, what's getting in their way that they can't, that they're struggling now with the back and forth 
with really being able to listen carefully. And the other thing that I'm listening for is um, the struggle around needs and how those are or are not getting met in relationship. Because in my experience, this is what brings people to a head. You know, this is, this is one of the, the major things that starts to get in the way is that people, where I was able to meet your needs easily in the beginning of a relationship, I'm now, I'm now struggling with that and I'm more interested in having my own needs met. So in, in the world of IFS, Dick Schwartz t- coined a term, the U-turn, <laughs> which is actually a really excellent term. And instead of looking at what isn't happening from your partner, because we get very focused on that, we have parts of us that in, in our grief and in our uh, disconnection and in our frustration, we want to focus on what the other person is or isn't doing that is causing the suffering. And so what we're doing is we're inviting people, and this is the very first step, to say, for a moment, I'm going to ask you to take the focus off what your partner is or isn't doing and do that you turn and start to look inward about what's happening on the inside of you as a result of what's happening um, with your partner. Does that make sense so far? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the first step is to get curious about what happens inside when your partner does or doesn't do a certain thing, and then start to explore the internal, the internal cycle as opposed to the external cycle. So, so that, and how, yeah, and yeah. how would you create a distinction for that? Because for people, if, if you're listening and you and you have problems, then you're probably saying to yourself, I know exactly what happens within me. My <laughs> partner does or doesn't do X, Y, Z, and I get fucking pissed or I get, <laughs> or I, yes. or I get sad and hurt. And so like, where do you go from there? Yeah. Okay. So in the world of family therapy, there, this is not new. There's the idea of tracking sequences or tracking cycles of behaviors. And in IFS, what we're going to invite people to do is say, you say, I get fucking pissed. I get really, really mad. And then we ask, what do you then do or say to your partner? And we're, we're starting that process of internal differentiation, which is when I get really, really mad, I have a part of me, for instance, that attacks or withdraws. And then we want to get curious with the partner about then what comes up inside and what do they do or say. So we're we're starting to help people unpack the parts of them that are trying to to, um, protect the system by taking action or taking non-action. And once we start to flush that out, then we're going to ask people to start to recognize the deeper emotion that is driving the behavior. So in other words, if I have a part of me that gets angry at my partner, there's something more vulnerable that's driving that protective part to take an action or a non-action with my partner. So we want to help people stay with the internal cycle so for me, for instance, there might be a more vulnerable part of me that feels disconnected or lost or unloved, and then I will get, you know, I'll have a protective part of me that will get angry at my husband in order to get that need met. Is this making sense to you? 
So yeah. yes, so the so the what I hear you saying is that we have these different parts. There's the the parts of us that are having that reaction and that may be the very first thing that someone identifies like, "Oh yeah, when my partner does this, I feel this reactive energy." Right. And and so what I hear you saying is that that just represents one part and for people who are familiar with the the Dick Schwartz episode that would be a protector part and maybe right. we'll just take a moment to sidebar and kind of describe the different parts just to catch people up who didn't hear that episode yet. Um and then but then you're saying there's this other part of you which is the part that has the longing and the vulnerability and and that part is the is the um one who has needs that are are or are not being met mm-hmm. and or, or who have been wounded great so, or in relationship either in the present in pre- adult relationships and of course in early, much earlier relationships. So, yes, we're, we're trying to flush out the difference between vulnerability and protection for a couple to understand that the needs, the vulnerable needs that are not getting met or haven't been met in the past are driving this protective action toward the other person. So the protector is getting angry in order to meet those needs that exactly. the exile. Yeah. Exactly. And of um, course, that doesn't work, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> as hard if as they only. try, <laughs> and as desperate as they are, it doesn't invite a partner into responding to the vulnerability. So protection right. doesn't invite, it does not invite your partner to pay attention to your deeper need. Right. So another way of saying that might be uh, no matter how much you demand your partner's attention, <laughs> it's not going to satisfy your need for connection and loving attention that you actually are craving. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yes, because, because what we're trying to, what we want to invite couples into, or people in relationship into understanding is that protection evokes protection. And so helping people understand that the, that the conflict is a cycle that continues over and over and over again. And I think people listening will understand that, that couples in general, in my experience, have one fight. The content changes over and over again, but the style of fighting or the style of conflict remains the same. And it's really frustrating. You know, people, you can hear yourself say probably in your own relationship, well, here we are again. Right? right? Here we are again. We're stumbling into the same method of trying to get needs met that hasn't worked, but we don't know any other way to do it because we haven't, we don't understand what's really driving the fight. And in this method, we, we want people to understand what's driving the conflict, why, it keep, why it's cyclical, why it keeps going on and on and on. And it's because there's a more vulnerable voice trying to be known and heard. So we, we want to help people begin to understand. And in my experience, when people start to talk to each other about what's really driving the conflict, it begins to make a lot more space inside each individual and in the in-between also. Like, oh, there's more going on here than you're just being bitchy 
or there's more going on here than, than you're just running away from me. There's much more. So we want to make the map much, much bigger and, and help people understand I am much more than just the feeling or the part or the reaction that you're seeing. Right. I, I, yeah, I can see that being helpful in both directions because how many times have you heard from a client? I, I mean, this is I've heard this a bunch where they'll say, I don't even know why I don't even like how I'm being right now. Like that's like, so I don't exactly. understand. You exactly. Know? That's exactly. I don't understand why I'm doing this again. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and I love what you said. I want to highlight it that if you respond with a protector, that doesn't invite connection and invites the response from the other person's protector. That's right. So, can can you take a moment to just like give us the lowdown, like the quick, quick and dirty, like exiles, (laughs) protectors, what's going on there, so that people get the language that we're using, right? You know, when I'm training, um, I, I use the metaphor, so I'm going to use it right here, of a great big, huge umbrella. I draw this, so maybe people, people can just visualize it. A big umbrella with some little tiny feet sticking out from underneath it. So in this methodology, we are paying attention to the protective system. And in other, method, in other methods, we might call these defenses or coping mechanisms, but because internal family systems therapy is so relational and we look at this system in a relational way, we call them protectors, the parts in the system that have taken on the job or role of protecting the vulnerability. And those little toes underneath the umbrella symbolize those young, the young vulnerable parts that in IFS we refer to as exiles, parts that have been wounded early in relationship, you know, big T, little t, so that, so they are the parts in the system that have been pushed back and the vulnerability that has been um, tucked away as, so as, so as not to get hurt again. So the protectors protect the system and protect the young parts from getting hurt again. And in relationship, those protectors can get very, very big because that's a lifetime of hurt in relationship. You know, children don't get out of, you know, people, we don't get out of childhood without getting hurt. So there's lots of vulnerability that gets um, pushed down in the system. Yeah, that's so important. And I just want to highlight that that when you said big T, little T, where we're talking big T trauma or little T trauma. And I think it's so important for, for everyone to recognize that we all have healing to do. Like even mm-hmm. those people who think they had like an ideal childhood, there's still healing to do. We, yeah. <laughs> there are all places where we've been wounded and, and the, the way that our systems respond to that is to create Uh, protection mechanisms. Yes. And children are really brilliant. Children will develop strategies to try to protect themselves that then get more sophisticated over time or they look more sophisticated. You know, these protectors develop and they really feel like they are protecting the system. And what you come to find out is that like I said, and then you reiterated, the more protected we are, the less we actually get what we want and need in relationship. But it's it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, and I, I have a quick 
question for you. Why yeah. is it so important, because it clearly is important, for us to start seeing these qualities as representing parts of ourself? You know, what I love about IFS is this idea that we can differentiate between a true core self and inner wisdom and unwounded self, which is part of the basic assumption of the model, and aspects of personality that have taken on roles or who have been wounded. So we're not only just helping people differentiate between the protective system and the vulnerability in the system, but we're helping people begin to access what Dick Schwartz refers to as core self, which is inherent to every human system and becomes a resource, a healing resource inside and out in relationship. So we are doing differentiation on a couple different levels here um, so that couples can begin to, and I use the language of the heart a lot because sometimes um, the language of self can get confusing for people, but I think people do recognize the idea that I am more of all of my personality and I do have a big, huge heart that I can access in this relationship that is a resource. So that's yeah. why, <laughs> that's yeah. why we, we talk about differentiating. Between yeah, and that, that resource is what lets you be playful and spontaneous and courageous and compassionate and right? clear. That's, yeah. <laughs> clear. Clear. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things that I observe a lot with couples, and I am a couple, so I feel like I can put myself right in this category, is that when we get triggered, when we get hurt, when we get protective, we're no longer clear. And so, and when we're no longer clear, then we don't have choices. There isn't the space inside. There isn't enough space inside to make a decision about how we want to choose to respond to ourselves or to our partner. And when we start to help people differentiate on the inside, the choices get vast. I have a, I have a, um, an interesting, it's not a study, of course, but I have an interesting observation when I'm working with people or even, yeah, when I'm working with people, I'm listening to people, the choices get smaller and smaller until I begin to hear people saying, I only have two choices. I can either attack or I can collapse. So, you know, and I, I hear that and I say to myself, okay, that means that, that all of these parts are closing in um, on on an individual or on a couple, so that they're not there's not freedom to say I actually can choose um, what I want to do, what I want to say, how I want to feel in this circumstance. So um, IFS is in in one way or inter, you know intimacy from the inside out is also a way to help people expand into much more choice. And I think choice choice equals empowerment in my mind. Yeah, yeah. So, could you give an example? I'm I'm just trying to imagine for a couple who are experiencing like like that pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that pattern is for you, you're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Um, how 
So how do I, in that circumstance, shift? How do I make the U-turn and and actually get to a more clear, choice-filled place? Mm-hmm. Great, great question. It is the question, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so um, what I might do with someone, I'll just give you an example of how I might be with a, with a couple. Someone is very triggered, and I think we all know what that word means, you know, they're, they're, we suddenly start to notice that we're having a reaction. And conscious awareness is really the first step. I notice that I will help somebody notice that when they're beginning to go into a cycle, into a pattern of their conflict, something begins to happen in their body. And that's the first step toward a U-turn, because we're always going to have something happening in the body, even if we're not aware of it, which is okay. And then to stay focused, focused on yourself, because the, the, uh, the impulse, of course, is to stay focused on the partner and begin to notice the reactivity and begin to differentiate from it. So in other words, um, I might be having, uh, my stomach might be clenched. I might start to feel that feeling of getting very, very angry. So we would name that as a part. And to say hi, to begin a relationship with the part of you that's really, really angry and without dismissing it or exiling it any, in any way at all, begin helping, helping the individual to separate from it a little bit in order to have a relationship with it, in order to understand it and understand its impulse. So are you with me so far? Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm just amused with the... The idea of like you recognize that you're feeling triggered and and by the way for for you listening um, I did episode 47 is a summary episode that I did that that brought together a lot of what we've talked about on the show about how to recognize your triggers how to how to handle it on a physiological level so how to Mm. um, bring yourself back into regulation Um, for yourself so I just recommend that episode 47 as a resource Mm -hmm. and and I'm imagining that so now I'm in that place I see it's going on I do something um, like I I love um, the long slow exhale just really getting in touch with your breathing and Mm -hmm. then I like this hi like (laughs) saying actually saying hello like oh hi it's you the one who clenches my stomach and makes my blood boil and Mm -hmm. And yeah. beautiful. And also, Neil, this is, this. speaking of affect regulation, this is an affect regulator. Differentiating, in IFS we call it unblending, and I'm imagining that in episode 26, Richard Schwartz talked about this, idea that you can step back from a part of yourself and develop a relationship with it. And it's a beautiful thing when people begin to say hi and also, I get what you're up to, and I'm going to help you. So it's a very relational model in that mm. way. And when we begin to ask the question, what are you afraid would happen if you didn't get angry right now at this other person, we begin to hear all kinds of vulnerability and then encourage people to not only develop a relationship with the vulnerability, but begin to speak for it to their partner because being able to speak for what's going on deeper is the invitation much more so than allowing an angry protector 
to either attack or withdraw or shut down or whatever it is. The dysregulated, the dysregulated interaction does not, does not invite your partner to understand you. And so we're, that is, that is, you, you know, you asked for kind of a step by step, what would, what would we do is to help an individual um, introduce their more vulnerable parts to their partner. Mm, so, so I'm, so just to summarize, hi, you're the angry part of me. I hear you. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not trying to get rid of you. I want to, mm-hmm. but I want to ask you, what are you afraid would happen if you didn't get angry right now? Yeah. If you didn't attack, if you didn't if you, withdraw, if you didn't do the impulse. Right. Um, right. I like, yes, definitely, including withdraw in that as well, if that is your tendency to, right. to remove instead of right. move, move right. forward. Right. Um, and then, um, and yeah, I love that question. What are you afraid would happen? I can see how that would unearth a lot of what mm-hmm. you really want. Mm-hmm. You know, in my experience, often, often, what, not, you know, not often, I would say almost always, you begin to hear things like, I wouldn't be heard, I wouldn't be loved, I wouldn't be known, I wouldn't be seen, I wouldn't be understood. You start to hear the, the core needs that are longing to be met in the relationship. Like, I want you to hear me, I want you to see me, I want you to know me. And that, 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 that as those things begin to... Um, unearth, uh, as I might say, a partner, not always, but a partner is now not the target of um, the, the, the protector. And what I observe um, often, as I said, not always, is that partner begins to get curious because they're no longer being the target. Mm. So, so they, when you say being the target, that's like saying, you're not listening to me. Like now you're, right. now you've made your partner a target versus right. I'm really afraid. There's a part of me that's really afraid that I'm not going to be heard. Right. Or I'm really longing to be heard. Mm. You know, or I, I, or you used to hear me and now I feel like you don't. Um, uh, but it's a softer communication. It's a much softer communication, especially when we begin to have the courage to introduce these more vulnerable parts to each other and also to help the partner understand that there's a history here before them. So in other words, if I'm working with someone and their longing is to be heard and they do not feel like they're being heard, then I want to hear a little bit more about a past history. Is this familiar in some way? And again, as people begin to dip into childhood or dip into past hurts, the partner, again, the, there's relief on the other, you know, in, in the other person that, oh, I'm not the only cause of your suffering. Mm. And as that person begins, their heart begins to soften <laughs> because they're no longer having to protect themselves, because they're hearing something new, potentially, and different. They're hearing the communication in a completely different way. You know, and as their heart begins to soften and open, there's more interest in curiosity in being there for that, for their partner. That's my experience. And, you know, Neil, I just want to say for any couple therapists <laughs> that may be listening to this, it's not an instant 
This is not an, something that happens instantly. You know, helping people that are potentially very, very protected begin to unwrap this may take some time. Um, you know, so I just want to say, you know, I just want to say that for couples therapists who are saying, oh my gosh, I can't imagine, you know. So that this is a process over time, obviously, of helping people un- unravel the protection and expose the vulnerability, because that often, for couples, hasn't been a safe thing to do for a long, long time. Yeah, so I, I like that point for couples as well, like just recognizing that, you know, you're going to hear this episode and get all inspired, and it may not be an instant softening on the part of your partner. Um, mm-hmm. And to trust that, that um, you know, sometimes shifts can happen really quickly, and mm-hmm. but not always. And so when they don't happen right away, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to 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 stay in it long enough to allow the tectonic plates of your relationship to actually change direction. Exactly. And you talked in your opening, you know, you spoke about possibility, you know, and co-creation. And this is a, this is the beginning of that. And sometimes people need help to do it. And sometimes people don't need help to do it. Yeah. You know, which is to see that the, that the way, way we're bumping into each other, there is a possibility of, breaking that cycle yeah now just um quick side sidebar here i want everyone to know that you train um you do workshops for like in retreats for couples and then you also train therapists in intimacy from the inside out and and i think i saw coaches and um basically people who are working with couples um, right. So how would people find out more information about the work that you do, both retreats and the trainings that you do? Um, I'm, a, I'm also a trainer for the Center for Self-Leadership. So my trainings, the trainings, the intimacy from the inside out trainings, the full training, which is a 72-hour training, is open to IFS-trained therapists. But I also do five-day introductory workshops for therapists who aren't trained in IFS that are interested in the methodology. And the next one that's happening is at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in Lenox, Massachusetts in January of 2017. And then I have a website, TonyHerbineBlank.com, and all of the trainings and workshops and retreats are listed on that website, and that's updated on a regular basis. So if people are interested in just kind of perusing my website and seeing what's happening, that's a good way to do that. Great, great. And, and signing I will... up for a newsletter also, I guess. Awesome, yeah. yeah. So I will ensure that um, the links to your site and um, current events are available in the show guide for this episode. And again, just as a reminder to everyone listening, you can download the show guide, neilsatin.com slash Tony, T-O-N-I, for Tony, Tony Herbine Blank, who's here talking to us today. and Or you can text the word PASSION to the number 33444 and just follow those instructions. So getting back to what we were talking about, I was wondering if you had any suggestions for... Um, Let's say I'm listening, and there are a lot of couples who listen to this show together, so hopefully if you're listening to this together, it inspires you to take this on together. But let's say someone's just listening by themselves, and they're feeling really courageous, and in the next 
uh, heated moment, they start having this dialogue that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Can you suggest some languaging for them to introduce their vulnerability in a way that's still safe for them? Because <laughs> the odds are that they're still probably working with a partner's protector. Right. Yeah, great, great question. So one of the protocols that um, we teach in the intimacy from the inside out training is called courageous communication. And, you know, you also said there, there are so many people out there doing amazing work trying to help couples. And there are some other, other languages for communication, safe communication. And, you know, Harville Hendricks does the dialogic process that is so wonderful. And, um, I think people, I think pe- learning to speak and listen well is a very courageous act for couples. So I would say that, um, just to answer your question, if, if you are able to stop yourself before you speak, <laughs> and you know, sometimes that's really hard, take a deep breath. Those, those, those 10 deep breaths, that is wisdom, that is ancient wisdom that is, is applicable here. And see if you can name to yourself what's going on before you speak will really help. And be able to speak for what's going on instead of from what's going on. And so in IFS, we would say, speak for the part of you that's having the feeling. This is a, this is a first step instead of from it. So in other words, you can imagine being able to take a little bit of a step back from your own internal experience and speak on behalf of it to your partner. So I might say to my, to my husband, for instance, you know, I'm noticing a part of me that is getting really frustrated or I'm noticing a part of me that feels really hurt and I'm wondering if you're available to listen. I think that, um, and I talk about it all the time to my students, and I talk about it all the time to my couples, when you want to speak, you are going to be received in a much more spacious way if you ask if your partner is available to listen. You know, processing on the fly is really difficult. You know, on the way out the door, oh, I just want to let you know I'm really furious. You you probably really don't get what you want. (laughs) But to be able to say, I have something I'd like to talk about, are you available to listen, is a huge invitation. And it gives people permission to say, you know, now's not a good time for me to listen to you because... You know, either I'm on my way out the door or, you know, I'm expecting a phone call or I'm upset myself. So making a time, you know, making a time to talk. And then, you know, and this is all around affect regulation. You know, this is all about being able to hold on to yourself even if your partner's not available. And if they are available and when they do become available, to speak on behalf of what's going on in your internal system instead of using the shame and the blame language. Mm, so I would yeah. say that's a very first step is, is to hold back on the shaming, blaming language, um, which is sometimes hard to do because those protective parts really think that's the way. You know, they really believe that. That's the way. So. Yeah, I think, I, I can't remember the quote. It's something like, you know, no one has like punished their way into 
love or, you know, something like that. <laughs> That's it's really great. Like, yes. <laughs> I remember Terry Real. I heard Terry Real speaking one time. He said, I'm going to take a two by four and I'm going to see how hard I can bop you over the head with this in order to get you to you to love me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So there are a few things here that I absolutely want to get to. Um, one is like the first thing that comes out at me is, um, you know, so often in that moment, like I'm imagining, like, I, you know, I'm noticing a part of me that's really hurt right now. Are you available to talk? Mm-hmm. If the other partner's actually in touch with what's going on with them, and they may be sort of spontaneously, even if they're not speaking for it, they might be speaking from it. They like a common response is I'm hurt too. Like, mm-hmm. why won't you listen to me too? So there's that like kind of battle of, of vulnerabilities going on in that That's moment. Right. So right. yeah, how, and I could see just inviting a dialogue and having a protocol is like, could you listen to me? And then I promise I will listen to you or mm-hmm. I'm happy to listen to you. If you will also listen to me that that could be one way to resolve that impasse. And right. is there anything else that comes up for you around that? Like that automatic, like I'm hurt too, you know, kind of response. Right. You know, it makes me think of something that one of my uh, mentors, um, a wonderful woman, Sunny Shulkin, once said to me, which is, or said to a group of us once, is that, you know, at some point, somebody in the the dyad, someone in the the couple has to make the decision that they are going to have a TMM, which is a temporary moment of maturity. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, be willing to do the hardest thing, which is to say, I'll be there for you. Or I am going to, in IFS, we might say, take a deep breath and unblend from all the desperation and, and bring your heart, bring yourself forward to be able to say, okay, I am going to listen to you. And, you know, in my experience, this... Um, sitting down to dialogue can be really hard without help in the beginning, unless you really feel like you can open your heart and just be present. So, um, yes, that's a, that is a dilemma. We're both hurt. Can we make some time to really, really listen to each other and, um, and take the time we need to do that? So some couples will be definitely be able to do that. Yes, I'm going to listen and work on on um, that mindful listening, which is I'm going to put my own stuff to the side and listen to your experience without getting flooded with my own experience. So again, Neil, I want to say that that can be hugely challenging to not have help to do that, or you might be a couple that is really ready to do that, you know, to be able to say, okay, I am listening to you does not mean I agree with everything that you're saying. I'm going to completely change my behavior on your behalf in the next 30 seconds. It means I'm going to listen to your experience and take it in and be impacted by it with the hope then that we're going to be able to switch. And I am then also going to have an opportunity to be heard, my experience to be heard. You know, IFS is, or uh, intimacy from the inside out, is it's a very experiential uh, experientially focused methodology. So we're helping people rather than trying to move people to uh, come up with solutions or behavior changes right away. 
it's to build the muscle to speak and listen differently so that problem solving and changing behavior becomes easier to do, if this makes sense. So we're going to help people change their process, which is a slowing down. It's a slowing down of the speaking and the listening and the understanding, both of your own internal experience and the other person's experience, you know, intimacy inside and out. So we're doing it in both directions. And from this, we do believe that then the problem solving will become easier and easier and easier. In other words, a lot of people want to get to the solution to a problem right away. And we say, let's, let's work on how you're trying to solve that problem, which isn't working. And as you begin to understand the processes inside and out, these will become easier to negotiate. Yeah, yeah. Your chapter in your book, Intimacy from the Inside Out on Courageous Communication, I think is really great for helping people learn how to slow that process down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and again, uh, we actually did have Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt on the show, and they were mm-hmm. talking about Imago Dialogue. That was mm-hmm. episode 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those of you who want to go back through the archives, um, there's there's another opportunity for you to learn about a way of slowing down the process of communication so that um, you so that you can actually get at the the content that matters. Um, but but I think you're what I hear you saying is that so much of the so much of it isn't actually about the content. It's that the process is really failing people. Mm-hmm. So exactly. if you're not if you're not it's not changing. Um, it's not about changing how changing the content. It's about changing your approach to the how content. you even. Re- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, because the content, of course, is important. You know, I think that couples have many, many things that they need to talk about over the lifetime of a relationship. And like Harville Hendricks, and I've been very influenced by Harville Hendricks, as you probably noticed in that chapter on courageous communication. Yes. Um, is, is I'm a huge believer in helping couples be able to have any conversation and do it safely and respectfully and courageously that that we have to sometimes have really, really hard conversations. And there is a way to do it which, which takes back the blaming, the shaming, the accusing, the defensiveness, um, you know, by helping people learn. And I, you know, I, many of the dialogic processes focus on the speaking, which I think is very, very important, right use of speech. But I think listening is often the way more challenging um, role to be in because if we start to get dysregulated or we start to get upset, we start to get triggered, our protective parts want to start to defend or, you know, um, change the other person's mind about what they're saying, all that will flood in. So really learning what it means to listen, really, really listen and keep, you know, hold on to yourself, you know, hold on to yourself, love yourself, um, keep yourself regulated, keep yourself from going down that tube of, I just can't listen for one more minute is actually a very, very courageous thing for people to do in relationship. And whether you're a couple, whether you're a parent, whether you're a politician, you know, listening, the skill of listening um, is, is, can be really challenging. 
and amazing when it happens. Amazing when you're able to listen without taking things, without taking too much in. Yeah. I'd love to take a moment to reflect, and I'd actually hope that we'd have more time to talk about this topic, but maybe you'll have to come back on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, You've brought up several times this question of shaming and blaming and how that mm-hmm. emerges in relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm wondering if you can talk about the purpose that that serves how how would i recognize if i am shaming or blaming and what that looks like externally as well as internally and then mm-hmm. what are some steps to take to uh to resolve that in a more mm-hmm. positive proactive way yeah well i think we talked about this before but shame in relationship is one of my favorite topics and um, became a favorite topic for lots of different reasons. But one, because I was paying really close attention to this idea of people not having, not being able to get their needs met and having shame about having needs at all. I think we're a culture that, especially for men in this culture, talks about, uh, you know, is very shaming in terms of, getting emotional needs met. So, you know, I believe that very early in childhood, many of us start to cut off core need, the, the longing for to have the core needs met. And I also believe that as, you know, children have, there are some children, many, many of us probably, who have experiences of unrepaired shaming in childhood. In other words, um, when a child is shamed over and over again and there is no repair, very quickly we develop parts of us that will take on the role of shaming, both inside and out. So what, is that, what does that sound like, just, just to so make it really way to clear say, for listening? Yeah, what, what another way to say that is inner critic, and I think people probably understand that, like that very quickly we learn as children to criticize ourselves if we've been criticized. Right, so like you, you shouldn't have done that, or yes. I'm or so stupid bad. for having done that, or yeah. Yes, I'm bad for having done that. I'm a bad, I'm a bad person. So we might call that criticism, internal criticism, but we also might um, get even braver and say that's actually shaming. That's actually internal shaming to have to have a negative self, a chronic negative self talk. There's something wrong with me. I'm bad. I'm not lovable. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm, you know, all of those kinds of messages that children begin to say to themselves as a way to improve upon themselves, that, that, that that's the function of that. If I can criticize myself enough, I will improve. If you follow the track, if you follow that track, that's what that comes down to. That negative self-talk is actually in, in the hopes to improve oneself, <laughs> which is very heartbreaking, actually. But if we, if we have developed an internal critic, we will also have an external critic. It doesn't work in one direction or the other. So in our methodology, we say as the internal voices begin to heal, the external voices will begin to soften. Does that make sense so far? Yes. But... We, those parts of us that have developed the strategy of criticism or shaming inside or out, again, will have a protective function. That's the number one. We'll have a protective function. But as we talked about earlier in the show, shaming your partner in order to get love does not work. 
Right. It does, it does not work. So we want to help people begin to bring this idea that the inner critic is also an external critic or the external critic is also an internal, internal critic to bring this into conscious awareness so it can begin to be understood and healed. So, uh, and I see it all the time with couples, is the, is the part that wants to do to another person what I do to myself as a way to alleviate the internal dilemma. So, so in other words, I'm just going to give you an example of myself. And, and this is such a great, this is such a great um, experiment. And I encourage everybody to do this, is to watch how quickly when you are feeling badly about something in your life or badly about yourself, there's a very strong impulse to try to find somebody outside of yourself to blame for it. And I put myself on a little experiment of watching how even if, you know, even if I stub my toe, <laughs> I stub my toe and I'm in a lot of pain and I'm really frustrated, the impulse to, to look out and say, you know, why did Jordan put that? Why did my husband put that box right there right then? You know, yeah. so if you want to do a really great, really powerful um, experiment, it's to watch how quickly we want to look outside um, for someone to blame when we're having internal strong feeling. And, um, you know, actually, Brene Brown has a great YouTube, little YouTube video, and I and I, I, I'm not sure what it's called, but anyway, <laughs> now that I'm telling you about <laughs> this, but, um, you know, on exactly this thing, you know, how she spilled coffee on herself. And then she, she talks about the whole trajectory of how she could, she could make this her husband's fault who wasn't even there. So I, and I think as human beings, we're doing it all the time where we are externalizing an internal dilemma and in IFS and internal family uh, systems therapy and intimacy from the inside out, we're saying, slow this down and see if you can find the hurt. See if you can find the internal shame dilemma before you try to find somebody to blame for it. And, and love that part of yourself. Because the external blaming and the external shaming doesn't actually do the healing. It doesn't heal that wounded place. And it doesn't invite the partner, your partner, into um, wanting to help you out of your internal dilemma. So I know that's a lot for, for your question, but I <laughs> hope you Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure we could talk for another half an hour easily on that yes. topic alone. Yes. I'm wondering if you can offer, like, let's say someone identifies that that's happened. Like, oh, I'm having... I'm, I'm either blaming my partner or I'm having that internal shame, like, oh, I should have done that differently or why did I blah, blah, you know? Mm -hmm. um, what's an, what's a, what can you offer for a more generative question in that moment to access, like before when you said, what, would, what are you afraid would happen if you didn't get angry? Is there another question like that that someone could ask themselves in that moment? You know, this may sound very simple, but I think taking a breath and being able to ask yourself, what am I actually feeling right now? What am I feeling inside myself? So to stop, to slow down, to take a breath 
and to say, rather than go outside, I'm going to go inside. And I'm going to see if I can just feel into what's happening in here. And once you get past the impulse maybe to blame um, or into, to ask those parts to step to the side, because they will if they're asked to, is to notice what is, what is the more vulnerable feeling that I'm having. You know, am I in pain? Do I feel anxious? Am I afraid of something? Um, do I need something? Is there something that I need right now that would be really helpful? Um, because that's a U-turn question. The U-turn question is, what's, what am I feeling? What am I needing? And is that, is that something that I can, is there something I can do for myself right now? Or do I need to go outside of myself to ask for some help? And it's a softer process than the blame-shame. I'm going to make somebody bad for this, which is an impulse. And it, okay, you know, you know, in IFS, all parts are okay. You know, we want to understand that. But being able to go below the surface of the blame and shame to find out what's going on, what's, what's the more vulnerable thing? Because, Neil, I do believe if there's a protective impulse, there's something more vulnerable going on. You don't have one without the other. Yeah, and so from my perspective, I suddenly had this feeling of, oh, right, like, so when you feel that protective impulse coming up, it's time to get really excited because you actually have this opportunity to find out what you really need in that moment right? and get your needs met. That's right. And <laughs> they can, might be met by your partner, but your partner might not be there. So then you could also spend a little time with yourself. So, you know, it's an inside, again, it's an inside or an outside. Maybe this is something that I, maybe there's some loving kindness that needs to happen on the inside of myself. Maybe I need to open my heart to myself right now. Maybe there's a softer response to myself. Or maybe there's a way that I can go to my partner and let them know what just happened and ask for the thing that I'm really needing, which is on the level of care and kindness, love, compassion, listening. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I could see that the more the more that you learn how to show up for yourself like that, then the more fully you're going to show up in your in your relationships in general. And that's the philosophy. You know, there there's there's outside to inside philosophy, but there's also inside to outside. And both are very, very powerful. And I agree. I happen to agree with you that the more I can love myself, honor myself, love myself, have, you know, extend compassion internally, the easier that's going to be to do externally. The more that I can, you know, in, in IFS or in intimacy from the inside out, we talk about internal attachment. So being able to do that attachment work on the inside, which is essentially loving kindness work, and, um, you know, the easier it is going to be to bring that to your partner. And then it can go back and forth. So I can be a loving support to myself and I can be a loving support to the other. And they, can, they in turn, can do the same for me. So it's strengthening on the inside as well as the outside. It's both. Mm, beautiful. Tony, you've been so generous with your time and your wisdom today. I so much appreciate it. Um, I'm wondering if you have a moment for one more question or if we've got to go because sure. I'm, I'm oh, going to honor sure. your yeah, time no, here. I'm good. Okay. Um, so 
as tends to happen on this show, we've spent a lot of time diving into the the nitty gritty of potential problems that can come up. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what you might say to a couple that comes to you, let's say, and actually everything's great, but they're just like, we feel like it could be better. Mm-hmm. And how can how can the the offering of intimacy from the inside out like where would a couple like that start when they feel like the stuff that we've been talking about all along if they haven't like stopped the podcast yet they're like okay we got that we got that what do we do next yes yeah great I'm glad you're asking this question because I do have couples that come to me for that and that's a that's a huge gift and the first thing that I ask people is what's your vision like what do you want to create if you were, if you had, if you had had this consciousness <laughs> before you got into relationship, or even now, when, when people come that that are getting ready for a commitment, what can you vision together? And my, what I believe is my job is to get out of the way of people, get my agenda for what a good relationship is out of the way, and ask people what they what they want to create, and then help them to do that. And um, I think that's not a question that gets asked that often, actually, is what's your vision? Because people's vision is, is changing in relationship. That's another thing that I'm noticing, is that the traditional um, partnerships, are people are wanting to move out of more, the more traditional roles in relationships and the way relationships look. So tell me what you want to create, and I'm going to help you do it. The other thing is, you know, I really believe change your conversation, you'll change your relationship. So even those people that say, yeah, yeah, this is great, I want to I see how are, you, how are you speaking and listening. And I know I've spent a lot of time on that, so I won't keep going. But I think learning about um, how, how you are in conversation is great. But I would say the, simple, the simplest answer to your question is, what is it that you want to create? And what's getting in the way of you, you know, expressing your potential in this relationship? So I want to hear from people what, what they want to create. And sometimes people need help to create a vision. So let's get quiet and really start to talk about what can you imagine? You know, how big can your heart get? You know, how expanded can you get um, in relationship to yourself and to your partner and can you take that out then do you want to take it out because you know love trickles down right so yeah and I, I could think- see having that conversation then people are bumping up against well what as soon as you ask what's holding you back from getting that mm-hmm. well now you're going to be talking to those parts of you that are maybe afraid of how good it could be or what that would mean or you know right Or maybe you've never even discussed with your intimate other some of the things that you're longing for that got exiled when you were a kid, you know, like your creativity. And, you know, so maybe there are questions, maybe there are now conversations that aren't so much about our dynamic, but what's holding me back from expressing myself, you know, my biggest potential in the world um, with you or with myself, so, um, you know, helping people vision, that's just what keeps coming to me, back to me from your question is, let's have a conversation about what you want to create 
and what does even that what does that even bring up when I offer the the world you know the world is your oyster there's so much possibility here what comes up when you when you are asked that question you know mm, yeah if you were all if you were all of who you are who would you be you know <laughs> love <laughs> it yeah yeah and and how could you support your partner in in being that for themselves exactly. Exactly. And how, and what are you creating together? That's another thing. You know, like when the we starts to strengthen because there's no longer the power struggle around the I, the we is a very powerful force in yeah. the universe. So, yeah. you know, what is the we? What is what is the we that we're creating here? Yeah, so great. Um, and this just provoked this like last kind of nagging question which was if I'm noticing my partner's angry part emerging mm-hmm. is it safe to say am I hearing from your is this angry part number three that I'm hearing from right now <laughs> it is not Neil <laughs> <laughs> you know one of the one of the um, I think one of the the uh, well, I, I hate that word goal but I'm going to use it anyway the goals is being able to have enough trust in your relationship to be able to say things like that. But, you know, my experience is that until that language is comfortable and there's some safety and trust between a couple, you don't want to call people's parts out like that. You know, I think a better question is, might be, is something going on that you want to talk about <laughs> or, or to talk about yourself. This is one of the keys in, in intimacy from the inside out that we teach people to learn how to talk about yourself instead of your partner. So if you're noticing that your partner's getting angry or has an angry part to say, I'm noticing I'm having a reaction. I'm noticing I'm getting scared. I wonder if something's going on. Like to talk about you instead of talk about them. And then hopefully someday your partner invites you (laughs) to name their parts if you see them. So, but in the beginning, I would say, no, talk about yourself. Yeah, great. Tony Herbine Blank, thank you so much for coming on today's show. I, I mean, we've gotten so many gems here in this conversation, and I will ensure that we have links to your site, TonyHerbineBlank.com, so people can find out about your couples retreats and your trainings for therapists. And again, just thank you so much for being here with us, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Neil. This was actually quite fun. So thank you so much for inviting me. You are most welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.